We're back, everyone. Auto Catch-Up is back, your weekly automotive fix for Australian news and news from around the world. It's episode 51, recorded on the 30th of May, and it's great to be back, and we've got a ton of news to go through this week. Some more interesting than the other, but nonetheless, we're going to make our way through it. I hope you've been well. It's been a a, a hectic time for us. We've done a whole heap of different things. We've done some pieces with Rolls-Royce around their brand new Ghost, as well as um, been driving a number of different cars for all sorts of budgets since then. So make sure you head to dailyautofix.com to catch up on the latest of of those happenings and all the great photos that we have for you to to digest on there as well. Um, But stick around because we've got some really great news to talk through on this episode. So let's get into it. So to start off with, something that we've continued to talk about for a little while now, but it's it's still happening and it's kind of mind-blowing. And that is just classic V8 muscle cars, Australian ones at that, breaking records left, right, and center. So, um, yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot going on here. And a great article in Car Advice is going through some of those immaculate examples that are making their way through auction houses and, and for sale listings. Um, so one includes Ford Falcon GDHO Phase 3, fetching um, around a million dollars. So it's, it's essentially... Um, Another one that's come up following a perfectly restored model that was re- recently sold for $1.15 million, um, and that's not including the 7.5% auction fee, um, and that was bought by Sydney-based philanthropist Judith Nelson um, to include into her art gallery, and it set the highest price paid for an Australian-made road car. But this week, another iconic car came up for sale, and it's a 1985 Holden Commodore VK HDT Group A. Um, and, and not just any of these, it actually was owned and driven by Peter Brock himself as a company car. Um, it's number five of 500 built, and um, it's essentially referencing the champion's driving racing number. Um, so it is priced at just over a million as well. And... Um, but look, if, if perhaps a million dollars isn't quite your, um, well, let's just say it doesn't quite fit into your budget, um, there's a 1982 Ford Falcon ESP, which has just 60Ks on the clock. Um, and it's the last Ford V8 car manufactured in Australia until they reintroduced the option in 1991. Um, and that sold for $355,000. So look, much more affordable, much more palatable. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit less than what you pay for an apartment. So I think that's completely reasonable. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of really interesting that we're going through some of, um, you know, this, this, I'm not going to say weird, but a really interesting time when these cars perhaps haven't hit that notoriety yet 
or they're just starting to do that now. It seems like the the vehicles sat at a decent a decent price for a little bit, but now they've made that monumental leap. And perhaps it's with the other cars where now the million dollar mark is seems a lot more achievable and and seems a lot more acceptable um, for classic cars and modern cars, like what we saw with the uh, the W1 Utes and and sedans. Um, but this is really a, an interesting sort of trend, and and it's probably something that has taken a little while to happen here in Australia. It certainly happened over in places like America with their classic cars of, of all sorts of different types where we start to see some true appreciation in the value of some of these cars. The challenge is, is that, and it also the advantage for the owners, is that these are a lot more harder to come by. They, are, they aren't just... Um, you know the Australian market is so much smaller and so we're seeing such a, a more limited opportunity to, to purchase these cars so um, yeah it's a it's kind of incredible and, and what's also creating a lot of change is um, the advent of, of car raffles so you know where you can can buy a ticket you can spend up to $250 and um you know these these companies are buying these cars and, and spending millions of dollars on these cars, um, but for a much smaller cost, you can go in and have a chance to own it. Um, now we've spoken about it in the past about whether that's the best option or should should true enthusiasts and true collectors be owning these cars and and, and, and looking after them because um, there's certainly a difference between uh, someone winning a, a piece of priceless memorabilia or you know history of the Australian automotive past um but it's also another one to to have it stored and 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 obviously you know used um but perhaps not used as a as a daily runabout um so that's that's probably the, the interesting thing but Mr Portatelli who's one of the uh one of the auction um groups says look it's an opportunity for an everyday Australian to, to own it and I think that's definitely something that's also another aspect is obviously not everybody can afford a million dollars so yeah it's um yeah it's uh it's certainly an interesting time for us to be going through and I, I don't think it's going to be the end of it I think uh we're going to be having these conversations more and more as we move forwards Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving ahead. Um, I don't want to keep saying forwards, but you know that's what most cars do. That's always a good thing that they propel us forward. But the chip shortages don't seem to be ending. They seem to be easing a little bit with car makers. Um, Subaru being one of those who have been impacted, um, but but there are extended delays for the Forester XV and Outback um, as they start to rebuild the supply of their chip, um, which impact all sorts of parts of the car. So in terms of this article out of Cars Guides, it says Super Australia said it's experienced production delays on its major models, such as the Outback, XV and Forester, as a global shortage of electronic semiconductors or chips bites into deliveries. As a bit of silver lining on the cloud, though, Subaru has had a bit of luck during the chip shortage as three of its models, the WRX, WRX STI, and BRZ, are in runout ahead of new model releases expected later this year. The next-gen cars may be fortunate enough to miss much of the delays and customer frustration now occurring with Subaru's most popular SUV, Trio. Um, and that's, and that's I think, the, the, the challenges here and... and 
we're seeing it a lot more in America as well. And, and even with BMW, we've covered in the past where they've had to change and update their specs of some of their cars because some of these systems aren't available. Now, compound that onto already limited and constrained supply. This is creating a kind of a weird situation where once upon a time before COVID, um, we were discussing how there's plenty of stock sitting around in um in, in car yards are available everywhere there's plenty of demos going around and now it's quite the opposite you drive past a car dealership and you know stock is light on and the question is is with the ship shortage shortage and obviously firm pricing that comes from that with demand constraints should you be racing out and buying a buying a car um now, if obviously you need to upgrade, you're in a moment that you have to. It is heading into end of financial year, of course. Um, it's certainly a consideration, but I probably would say that it might, unless you can find the car that has the exact spec of what you're looking for at the right price, you might want to hold out a little bit and um, see if these chip shortages continue or even look at the used market. Um, I know the used market is a little bit premium as well. But Subaru, for example, is idling its Yejima factory for almost three weeks in April, cutting production to about 10,000 vehicles instead of the usual 30,000. Um, so it puts a lot of constraints on the rest of the uh, the, the supply chain. Um, and so it is now just starting to build up its chip stocks while Subaru is building back up to that full production. So it's just one of... And that, that factory itself is just one of two Subaru factories in the central north of Japan's main island, Honshu. And um, it's the one that, yeah, that makes the Outback Forester and XV as well as the Impreza, uh, as they say, at the rate of about 2,500 vehicles a day. So if you're looking for a Subaru, keep that in mind. Um, definitely might be encouraged to, to place a, an order for a vehicle and you might have to jump into the queue for that they do make great cars we've always enjoyed them when we've had them um but just depends on if you're wanting to most likely pay the full uh, full freight which they will ask for if the since the demand is there but moving on to other Japanese vehicles, the Toyota GR Corolla. That's right, that's the GR Yaris, which has been, you know, making its waves here as they arrive, as well as the Rally E version. But the GR Corolla is coming, and um, it's going to be a, a 220 kilowatt beast. Uh, so this is another Cars Guide article talking about how Toyota's GR Performance rollout continues with a fire-breathing Corolla coming to take on cars like the Hyundai i30N and Honda Civic Type R. And the question is, when? They're saying that um, some more news has come out of Japan saying that today they shed a little bit of light on that very subject, revealing an expected launch date after coronavirus-related delays wreaked havoc on its original schedule. According to a Japanese website, Best Car Web, saying expecting the launch to be in 2021, but now that schedule has blown out um, with its scheduling to appear around June 2022. Um, so it is quite... A bit of a wait, um, but here's a bit. Here's some of the specs as to why it probably is worth uh, worth waiting for. So it's going to be picking up the same turbocharged 1.6 liter engine as the GR Yaris has, um, but has extra power. So going from 
200 kilowatts to 220 kilowatts and that's using a retuned exhaust system so i wouldn't be surprised if some gr yaris people um, jump out and, and start playing with the exhaust system as well but they're also expecting torque to remain unchanged at 370 newton meters it's going to be picking up the four-wheel drive system and um, with from the GR Yaris as well, picking up the channeling of 70% to the rear power tires, or power to the rear tires, I should say. And it's going to be roughly about 20 millimeters wider than its little car. So I do wonder how is the extra performance, is the extra power going to be leading into to make up for some of the performance deficit with it going into a bigger car, given that a lot of the other aspects are going to be very similar. Um, how is the handling going to, to change, given that it does pick up that extra mass, but you also have a wider track? Um, I think it's going to be very interesting. And also, of course, where does where is it going to fit in price-wise? Because the i30N and in particular we know is pretty competitive against the yaris even for pricing the yaris tends to be quite expensive um sitting at about that fifty thousand dollar mark now um which is relatively similar to the i30n so i wonder if is toyota going to be asking a premium on that price if so how much you know how much of an experience you're going to be picking up compared to some of these other cars particularly when we do know that the i30n is coming with an update to make it not only just um, a six-speed manual but also bringing the uh the dual clutch transmission into there as an option so opening up that market even further outside of what has already been a very popular model in its first generation um, so we'll keep our fingers and ears to the ground for that one for you and we'll update you as we learn more. But yeah, so another 12 months to wait. I'm sure it's going to feel like a long time for some people, but um, hopefully the wait is going to be worth it. So in a financial year, we've mentioned that it's coming and there's, despite like we were talking with a number of shocks stock shortages there's still going to be a bit of competition for discounts despite those those shortages so it's really something that i don't think the new car market has really suffered before where there's just extreme shortages caused by a number of different um situations as well as an increased demand for these vehicles but out of that Mazda, Hyundai, Kia, Nissan, and Ford are still committing to discounts despite those stock shortages. Um, so there's a number of different options, and, and I'm not going to go into all, all of them now, but um, some call-out ones are going to be like the, the the updated Kona Automatic will be starting from 28990 drive away, saving about $1,300. And the Santa Fe 4x4 diesel seven-seater will be starting at about 49990 saving just over $4,000. Kia... Um, uh, highlighting their Serato S Auto Hatch and GT are now $25,490 and $35,990 driveway, respectively, saving $3,500 and $2,600, respectively. Um, but then those, if you're after a Sportage S Auto, will be $32,290 and the upmarket GT line all-wheel drive will be $48,790, saving about $3,400 and $3,200 a piece. 
Subaru Australia will be offering two years of free schedule servicing and five years of roadside assistance across all of its models, even including um, five years of roadside assistance for the Forester and XV. Mazda said that the MX-30, CX-8, and CX-3 stock levels are back to normal, um, but there might be a little bit of a wait for the Mazda 3. Um, so there's, they've had a bit of an update of the stock in June, so that's going to be great. And um, yeah, there's going to be some also plenty of supply for BT50s, including driveway pricing deals that suits financial years, instant tax write-off for the in- items, including those commercial vehicles. And um, it's great that the tax write-off has been extended for 2021 and delivery dates also extended. Some of their utes, such as the dual cab 4x4 manual, will be at $59.90 drive away, saving just under $5,900. And then um, Ford says uh, there's going to be some competitive deals across their Ranger, um, saving just, well, an incredible just under $10,000 off the recommended price. There's going to be, a, if you want the seven-seater, the Everest Trend 4x4 um, with two-liter twin-turbo diesel will be $63,990, saving just over $5,500. And then Nissan, also thinking that this is a fairly important time, they'll also be offering the Navara STX dual cab ute with the automatic transmission of $57,290 drive away for ABM buyers, saving $7,800. And um, But if you're after an X-Trail ST, um, the automatic, you can jump in for $33,990, saving just over $3,000. But if you want to go all the way to the TI, you can save about $5,300 with it being 46490 So there's plenty of offers. So perhaps what we're saying before, go, you might be able to find some good deals. Might not be as good as you would have been able to in the past, but there's definitely some great deals to be finding out there. But again, make sure it's the right price. Make sure it's the, the spec that you want, or at least you're not compromising too much um, when it comes to what you're looking for. But let's move to something that's a little bit more fun. So the Nissan Titan, Aria, and Navara Nisbo, Nismo, sorry, um, their performance version um, could be... Now, this is a bit of a discussion piece which looks at, well, these particular models. So if you're not familiar, the, the, the Titan in particular is the large pickup truck um, that is fights against such as the the F-150, um, the Dodge Ram, those sorts of things, which have had some fairly good success through importing programs or even parallel importing programs. And so they've had some really great success, particularly Ram. Um, But there seems to be a lot of... There's nothing much else beyond the Navara that can provide true sales volume in amongst like the Duke, the Qashqai, the X-Trail, and the Patrol. Um, and the rest of the, the models, which they offer the 370Z, the GDR, and the Leaf, a bit of a niche player at the moment. Um, so the Titan, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, we've had some huge growth in that particular market. We've had the, 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 the Navara update its front end look to match actually what the Titan looks like in the US. Um, But this is a pretty, it would be a pretty key model here, particularly when, if they could 
you know, find out a way to build the US version of the the Titan in in a right hand drive um, thing, particularly when the full size pickups like Ram and Chevy are really having a lot of success. Um, we really, you know, we love it. I love these US style trucks, and they bring a huge number of advantages. So they have huge power. So in particularly the Titan Pro 4X. Um, has a 300 kilowatt 5.6 liter V8 engine, 4,222 kilos of towing capacity, and um, obviously it's got its its tough looks as well. Um, so if you are caravanning and doing a lot of road tripping or just moving a lot of big stuff around, this is you know a pretty great option to have. Um, there's also the other version of the Xterra. Um, so it's actually based off the Navara, so it's more of like that car-like car crossover, um, and it sort of matches in with the Toyota Kluga, the Hyundai Santa Fe. Um, but so whilst there's been some some good success there, there's a lot of things in the Toyota Prado, the the Isuzu MUX, the Mitsubishi Pajero Sport, and um, and that's where the Xterra, which is based on the Navara, sort of fits in there, and it allows you to have the best of both worlds. If you love to get off off road and you want to be a little adventurous, but you want to fit the family in, this is something that's going to be a little bit better suited um, to adventuring off road. Um, and look. There's certainly no limitation for what, in terms of success, that Toyota are experiencing themselves. The Aria is one which I'm a huge fan of, and it was the the vehicle that reintroduced the updated Nissan logo. And it's a it's an all electric model. It's got the potential. It's really like that true next gen car. And while the Leaf has done a nice job itself of showing how they know how to build an EV. The Aria Texas experience and takes it up to a larger mid-size SUV. Um, and they said, you know, Nissan has said they'd like to add it to the arsenal, but EV sales stagnant in our market compared to overseas. There are no guarantees that they'll bring one here. Um, but look, if they could bring it in at a good price, it'd have a potential to be a pretty mainstream EV. Um particularly now that we've got the Leaf E+, which can do 450 kilometers of range. If the Aria could do something similar or even better than that in something that's a little bit better suited for a small family or a small, you know, a couple, um, plus it looks pretty good, I think it could actually have a good chance to, to, to crack the market. And then, of course... Um, there's a few other different options. So even hybrid models, we don't get hybrid models here, even though they do have hybrid options across the X-Trail and the Qashqai. And even going that little bit further with Nismo options that are available overseas in the Navarre, the Patrol, and the Duke. Now, we do know that there is a Patrol... Um, a more excited warrior version coming, but it doesn't quite match like what the Middle East currently has. It's a 320 kilowatt V8 engine, um, gets upgraded aero and suspension um, to really hone in and, and sort of say, yeah, I deserve this Nismo badge. 
it might not be um, levels of performance like an X5M, but I can certainly think that it probably would be a bit of an exciting car to see on the road. Um, but let me know what you think. Uh, you can always jump in and send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Send us an email, ask us a question if you uh, want us to review a particular car or give you some uh, give you some advice or ask a question about, you know, what, what should you be buying or what, what vehicle should you be considering? You can always let us know. But moving to Toyota now, so the LC 300s Land Cruiser, it's hotly anticipated. Um, some are dreading it, I think, um, based on the insane sales figures for um, the the outgoing LC 200 Land Cruiser, the 200 series, where now you'd be lucky to find a brand new Sahara model for less than $165,000. Now, typically, you should be able to buy one for one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, but that would probably get you a two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen model if you're lucky. Um, but unfortunately, it's not going to be uh, doing anything more exciting at the moment. So there's going to be probably a, a longer wait than you thought for the V six diesel Toyota Land Cruiser three hundred series. Now, there's been tons of leaks, tons of leaked documentation, particularly for the, um, the South African market, including a GR Sport variant of the LC300. Um, but it seems that the, the petrol-powered LC300 will be available from July this year. The diesel diesel fans will have to wait a little bit longer, so another about another three months. Um, so this is mostly talking about South Africa, but this could be an indication of how stock is going in particular. However, they are saying in this article that Australian timings are yet to be confirmed. Um, and basically, Toyota Australia hasn't acknowledged the LC300. Um, but our market is primarily sort of diesel-focused, as um, as most you'll find will be carrying and pumping diesel compared to the petrol model. Um, but yeah, it is Toyota's flagship SUV. It, it is going to be um, engineered in, on an entirely new platform, um, which they're calling the TNGA-F, um, which brings some fundamental enhancements across the entire vehicle. Um, so it's going to have all of the on-road performance beyond all expectations for a four-wheel drive with no compromise to off-road performance, according to the leaked article. Um, so they're going to be saying that there's going to be uh, the twin turbo 3.3 liter V6 diesel with a towing capacity that matches the 3.5 liter turbo petrol um, with a braked towing rating of 3,500 kilos and unbraked figure of 750 um, with the ground clearance and approach departure angles to match those of the outgoing LC200. So it inherits its off-road drivability. So in that way, and also with the leaked photos, it doesn't say it doesn't seem that the design is going to be outrageously different. Um, but I think it's all our focus is going to be on what's going on under the hood, particularly leaving the V8 diesel behind. Um, but as we see more, I am hoping for a hybrid model. Imagine uh, the best of both worlds with a hybrid model. Um, you can get around the city, save some some fuel, but then when you're out on the road, you can or even off road, you can really take advantage and harness some of that uh, that electrical torque that you get out of those electric motors. I think that would be very exciting. Um, so the 2022 Polster. 
2, if you're not familiar, is uh, part of the... Um, the, the Volvo premium brand, which has been making some great waves overseas and is coming to Australia at the end of this year. And um, it sets to be basically betting on the environmental point of difference to lure curious um, EV buyers. So, yeah, it's a Volvo's premium electric sub-brand, Polestar. Um, and it's saying it's, it's, it's going to base its identity not just on electrification and performance. It's it's going to be about sustainability, producing vehicles, and tracking their environmental impact from the cradle to the grave. So this is pretty exciting. It's um it's going to be a premium brand as I say it's the world first carbon neutral vehicle by 2030. Um and plans to do so not via carbon offsets as other brands often use, but by true elimination of carbon in the vehicle's life cycle. Um, but the question is, obviously, will consumers be willing to pay more for it? Um, they're saying the brand is is transparent about the fact that the battery electric vehicles like the Polestar 2 actually require massive amounts of carbon emissions to build and require a significant amount of time on the road, about 112,000 kilometers to be precise, to begin offering a tangible environmental benefit according to the global average power mix. The distance traveled can be brought down if the vehicle is recharged in Europe. Um, we're charged solely off wind power, which can bring it down as low as 50,000 kilometers. But obviously here in Australia, we have um, we don't quite have the renewable power strategy. Now, if you have your own power, solar power at home and maybe a battery wall, you know, a power wall of some sort, that will help offset. Um, but that's obviously another challenge which we're going to be facing. But... Polestar vehicles are going to be constructed of many recycled materials and things like sustainably sourced flax. Um, Polestar goes a step further than, say, its BMW rival by publicly offering a life cycle assessment report of the Polestar 2's carbon footprint. So they do a whole heap of things to cover the assessment, um, breaking down the materials used, um, where recycled materials can be used. For example, you know, the brand assessment, extended use of recycled materials, particularly aluminium, which currently accounts to 29% of the Pulsar 2's carbon footprint during production. And it aims to recycle more steel and copper in the future production, um, but is also leaning on blockchain technology to trace cobalt through the car's ecosystem. So co- cobalt, um, what they say, is one of the most controversial materials used in electric vehicles. And it's currently required for the lithium battery construction. Um, and it's not only just a rare earth metal, but it's often not sustainably or ethically sourced with 70% of global supply coming from Congolese mines, with a significant percentage of which reportedly rely on explore, explorative, exploitative sorry, labor practices. So... Polestar is hoping to use such technologies to not only ensure its vehicles are free of sourcing dilemmas, but also it can reclaim and reuse those materials from batteries and vehicles that have reached their end of life. So this is um, going to be pretty pretty exciting. Um, prices are looking to start at $75,000 at the entry level, um, which is sitting, you know, it's going to be competing against Tesla as well as um, perhaps some of the other ranges such as Ionic from which is another sub brand of Hyundai, Kia's new EV, Volkswagen ID4, which will be competing, you know, to, to make more 
affordable electric offerings, but also um, who knows what we'll be seeing, particularly with BMW and what they're launching in the more premium space um, with the, the i4 and the iX3. So yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. I'm very much looking forward to the Polestar arriving. I've spoken to some friends who live in Germany, and it's it's the car which they want. Um, it's the it's the it's the attainable, it's the desirable car over there to have, and so I'm very um, I'm very keen to to see it arrive down under finally. But moving on to Mitsubishi, we're going to be touching on some of the shortages already um, again. So Mitsubishi are launching an ASX and Eclipse Cross special edition to address some of the vehicle delays. So these limited edition models to help alleviate delivery delays caused by issues such as pandemic and the automotive semiconductor shortage. So the core model range is still available, but delays have pushed some models to four or five months whilst wait time for some high-end variants are blown out to about six months. So these limited edition models currently in production and expected to be available from July. And these have been mixed and or created by, I should say, by the Japanese and Australian product strategists. Um, So these variants will be initially available for the ASX and Eclipse Cross models and could be spread across the entire um, or other nameplanes if successful. So these particular limited edition models are aimed at buyers of top-end models who wanted the extra features and equipment, but were one unable to wait for the extended delivery times. So, yeah, this is a bit of an interesting one. I don't know why they just don't make the other ones more available Um, because I'm sure this is taking up production supply. They don't really go into more detail about that, so I'm not too sure what is there. Um... But yeah, so they're going to be making some some special edition vehicles available, um, and we are waiting to see some more updates to things such as the Eclipse Cross plug-in hybrid, which is still seemingly going ahead in July to launch, um, while the new Outlander is on track for later this year. So that's going to be exciting. Um, it's always, I think, uh, the Eclipse Cross. EV is going to be just one of those vehicles that we could see quite a few of um, with the right mix of um, affordability and some entry-level hybrid options. But something that is definitely not um, budget-friendly, let's just say that, is um, Rolls-Royce unveiling a $37 million bespoke boat tail convertible. Um, so this is this is really interesting. So this is a one-off model that sort of follows on with the, um, the speed tail um, and other custom vehicles I've built. So utilizing the, the same 6.75 liter twin turbo V12, um, which produces 420 kilowatts of power, 900 newton meters to the rear wheels via an eight-speed torque converter automatic transmission. But this car is built through the coach building program. So it's, uh, if you've got, enough money to and you want something that bespoke you can go to the coach building division and and say look i love what you do but i want something a little bit more um custom and this is exactly what the boat tail 
is. So from what I can understand, and, and some of these things have been official and so official, um, but the... I'm just trying to think of the right details here. So it seems like there are three different groups of customers that came together that wanted to buy this car. There's three of these actually built um, for these different customers and they collaborated over a number of years to work with them to to build these unique vehicles. So there's these cars took some existing bits um, that have been built off uh, the Rolls-Royce Phantom, but there's 800... 1,813 unique parts that were designed and produced specifically for this model, which includes, and it's why it's, look, it's not my design taste, but it's certainly, I think it's quite impressive and goes back to some original boat tail cars from the, the 1920s and 1930s and um, has a, f- a fully reworked rear end so which allows you to store food and drink compartment integrated umbrella fold out tables collapsible carbon fiber chairs um and it's just uh you kind of expect it to see on a riviera of some sort um but they're saying that yeah the brand hasn't confirmed pricing out of respect however an overnight report for out of auto car claimed the, the buyer had put forward 20 million um, which is about that 37 million if accurate this would make it one of the most if not the most expensive new cars ever sold um, don't expect it to see here in Australia you can jump on the article we've linked to, to check out the photos it's certainly impressive but I think the the most interesting detail is that they are reviving that coach building division which allows customers to go through and completely create something that is their own um, furthermore than what Rolls-Royce allows you to do even now um, by taking one of the models and, and customizing pretty much everything about it but when it comes to reworking the body and repurposing those things, this is where the coach building program comes in. And um, you're not going to be getting a car super quickly, but it's going to be certainly a car that is unique to you. And um, yeah, it can be uh, truly, truly impressive. It's certainly worthwhile checking out and um, I'd love to learn more about that process. Uh, Perhaps we can try and find out for you and detail that. Going on to another insane is it insane? I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it is insane. Um, the Tesla Roadster. So Elon Musk claims that the new Tesla Roadster will fly um, with a new SpaceX version of the electric hypercar, really um, claiming to hit 60 miles per hour um, in 1.1 seconds, and um, it will do that by essentially utilizing. Um, uh, a booster on the back um, which is kind of like a, a rocket so let me find that yeah so SpaceX option of package for the new Tesla Roadster will cl- include 10 small rocket thrusters arranged seamlessly around the car these rocket engines dramatically improve acceleration top speed braking and cornering and maybe even allow a Tesla to fly um, yes <laughs> I don't know um, the the original or the initial Tesla Roadster um, was released in concept form back in November 2017. So this is essentially the, the technically the second generation Tesla Roadster. The first ever Tesla Roadster was released um, about 10 years ago now. 
but claimed that it would reach um, 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds, 100 miles per hour in just 4.2 seconds, um, and the quarter mile in 8.8 seconds. Um, it's a four-seat EV, three-motor, all-wheel drive powertrain set to generate a phenomenal 10,000 newton meters of torque and deliver a driving range of 620 miles, which is just under 1,000 kilometers. Um, the, we're now three and a half years later. We haven't got any further more about it. Um, reservations are 50,000 US dollars in North America and a base price starts off at about 258,000 Australian dollars um i'm saying so mars confirmed it was meant to arrive last year in 2020 um but it will be delayed until 2022 at the earliest because the company was instead focused on the development of the tesla cybertruck that was revealed in 2019 um yeah but i don't know i want to see how those rockets would work and and if even uh they could get close to meeting any sort of road regulations i i don't think um rocket boosters really fit within the scope of a lot of the particularly maybe even australia the 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 design rules so yeah we'll uh we'll see how we go on that one but let's move forward so if you're a motoring lover but also you love to to jump on the bike bmw motorrad gs experience program has been confirmed for Australia. Specifically, it has the extended test ride program will be held in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. And it offers the chance for existing and potential GS owners to put their bikes from the entire GS range to the test. So unlike... um, the other safari and safari enduro which caters to owners the latter event in particular is an advanced off-road component where the experience is actually held over two days and serves as more of an introduction to the adventure touring range in a milder less challenging environment um motorad general manager andreas ludrin says that BMW's Motorrad program of events on offer throughout 2021 is remarkable, underscored by the fact that both GS Safari sold out within hours going on sale. But if riders are looking to put out excellent GS range through its paces in Australia's real GS conditions, the GS experience is the perfect opportunity. Um, so you can drive everything from the G310GS, the F750GS, F850GS, um, going through all the way through to the R1250 GS Adventure. Um, it's a it's a great way. And for an entry fee of just $49, the GS Experience participants can test ride any two models from the list of available bikes on the event booking form. Um, the GS Experience program for 2021 kicks off at Tranquil Park in Mullaney, Queensland on 23 to 24 June um, with the New South Wales leg at the Wiseman's Inn Hotel, Wiseman's Ferry, 8 to 9 July, and the Victorian GS Experience held on Matilda Bay Brewery from 2 to 3 August. All participants event will receive a limited edition GS Experience shirt with light refreshments available throughout the day. Um, so if you're really interested in that, jump on that for sure, and um, I think it'll be a great, great experience. Um, moving into something that's probably not as fun to talk about is Victoria's new electric car tax. 
Um, it's been slammed as climate vandalism. Um, so Victoria is now the first state in the world to introduce an electric car tax. In some ways, decentivizing ownership of an electric car thanks to a per kilometre charge. It's been slammed by the Australian Greens Party with them saying Labor's EV tax comes at a time when transport is our biggest growing source of emissions in Victoria and we are lagging behind the rest of the world in the uptake of electric vehicles. Um, so that was Victorian Green spokesperson for transport, Sam Hibbins, in a statement. Um, but yeah, it made, Victoria made the bill official this week. Um, and yeah, so it's effective from July 1, 2021, with electric vehicle and zero emissions, such as hydrogen owners, are required to pay 2.5 cents per kilometre travelled, and plug-in owners will pay two cents per kilometre travelled, which equates to about three to five hundred dollars when travelling on average ten to fifteen thousand per year kilometres per year. Um, electric vehicle owners will still need to pay normal vehicle registration on top of that as well. The new Victorian EV tax is expected to generate $30 million over four years. And the Victorian government has previously provided subsidy for new EV owners who bought a vehicle after May 2, but the offer is capped at 20,000 buyers and only applies to vehicles that are priced under $68,748. It's a contentious tax for sure, and particularly for an emergency industry, um, which is already met with criticism despite its duty to fill the hole by the electric vehicles, not contributing to petrol taxes. Um, chief among critics is the Australian Greens slammed the new tax. Labor has yet to publish a media release since passing the bill in the upper house with support of crossbenchers. Um, yeah, I, I'm on two sides. I understand why... The tax exists. Um, I think it's obviously if the fuel excise is not being paid, that's not contributing to the roads, and and that's something which does need money to to do it. However, um, is this the right way, or is this the right time? Electric vehicles make up for less than one percent, um, so I really, it's probably not the best thing to do. I think that's probably where it is. Um, there's certainly a better way that it could be done to make it more palatable and I think pr probably more equitable as well. Um, but yeah, at least there should be a plan to move most people to this um, to act as a disincentive for those who are consuming petrol and to move them to, to an EV where they'll gain and actually save money by having an equivalent because they're not paying the fuel excess as well, so, so paying twice. Um but hopefully, fingers crossed, I'd, I'd love to see other states actually address what they see as an issue um, through lower revenue um, as a, and explore different solutions to that and, and explore that. I think that would be a much better way um, to see what, you know, hopefully not everybody else just jumps on and says, hey, that's a great idea and we're going to do that everywhere because it's going to kill EVs and hydrogen vehicles in Australia before they even start to get any more, more momentum. Um, but let's look at something a little bit more positively. Um, so the Genesis G80 and GV80, so the new models that have come out from Genesis, have both scored five-star ANCAP safety ratings. Um, so that's great news for those. So premium vehicles are usually excluded from, from crash tests, but Genesis both scored some pretty impressive results. So the local division 
assessed the crash test data conducted by the Euro NCAP team and found that both the G80 large sedan and the GV large SUV perform more than well enough for the five-star score. Breaking down specific focus areas, both models achieved a score of 91% for adult occupation, occupant product. Sorry, let's go. Adult occupant production, whilst the G80 scored 86% for child occupant production and the GV80 topped it with 88%. In other areas, G80 scored 77% for vulnerable road user protection, which is pedestrian, and 80% for its onboard active safety systems. The GV80 being given 66% for pedestrian protection and 79% for its safety assist technologies. Um, this is also great to reaffirm perhaps the the recent crash that Tiger Woods suffered in the US. Um, this is probably also a strategic thing to say, hey, look, our vehicles do exceed the safety ratings, so it is a safe vehicle um, and backing it up with the data. So that's great to see and probably a very clever move by them um, to address and cover um, that end. But one more bit of Aussie news is, and again, this is probably going to be to a fairly limited market, but the Mercedes-Benz S580 and the Maybach S680 are joining the Australian lineup, um, which means, yeah, so two of the most expensive S-Class options have joined. And um, yeah, it's great to have the Maybach badge welcomed back into the, the Mercedes lineup for the S-Class here in Australia. So it's a monstrous six-liter bi-turbo V12 pushing out 463 kilowatts of power and 900 new meters of torque with a nine-speed automatic transmission powering all four wheels via the 4MATIC system. Um, the Maybach S680 is 180 millimeters longer than the long wheelbase S-Class, so it's huge, um, offering more occupant space with its airmatic adaptive suspension and even more comfort with rear-wheel steering, also helping tight city driving conditions as well as improving that high-speed um, stability. There's more legroom than a first-class airplane, center-mounted tablet for climate and entertainment settings, as well as massaging seats, ambient lighting, 40 surround sound system by Mer Burmeister. Um, there's just a huge list of features. Um, when it comes to price, obviously, they're not cheap, but also cheaper than a Rolls-Royce. So you've got that going for you. Um, so taking orders for both the S680 and the S580, L, um, with local deliveries slated for the fourth quarter of 2021. If you want the Maybach, prices are starting from 565800 and the S580L is priced from 329000 not including any of your on-road costs. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure we'll see a few, not too many, um, but it's not bad pricing if you uh, keep it all in perspective. If you want to keep, if you want to think about it that way, but anyway, but let's move on to some international news now. I've got a couple of articles, and the first one is the uh, the Ford F one fifty Lightning. This is their electric electric F one fifty, the very first full EV, and um, it's taken the world by storm. There's more than seventy thousand pre orders in Australia. Uh, sorry, not Australia. I wish um, in in the United States, and um, yeah, it's a it's a great way to, I think, uh, make 
it's this is oh, let's just study. This is going to be a groundbreaking model for Ford and the F one fifty. The F one fifty has been the number one car for decades now in America. Not just pickup truck, but car, um, full stop vehicle, passenger vehicle, whatever. Um, but also, what is probably more impressive is that. Ford is quoting a range of fully charged lightning at 300 miles. Um, but that's also including a thousand pounds of payload in the bed. So it also means that if you have an empty vehicle or if you're planning to travel with it, you actually have a better idea of what um, that range is going to be. Where normally um, most car makers, particularly even quoting fuel, will say that's with just one passenger and minimal cargo, etc. Um, but yeah, this is this is going to be groundbreaking model. So not only is that range going to be looking pretty good, but they've done some pretty innovative things here. So not only do you have a huge number of power options to, to plug tools and um, lighting and equipment in to utilize the battery, because you are basically driving a huge generator around, um, but also has where the, the engine used to be in the front, is now a huge storage area that has a drainage hole so you can can put cooler in there. You can store 400 pounds within the front there with no no drama, um, but also has an, in some items, it has an optional inverter, which allows you to actually power your house as well rather than charging. So you can charge from your house on, on good times, but if you, uh, you have no power or there's a storm or anything like that, you could connect your house to your car and, and power it off for, for a couple of days um, and keep those essential items running. So that's, this is going to be the vehicle. I think it's going to be more defining than the Cybertruck. Um, it's going to get to market faster than the Cybertruck. Um, and I would really hope that we do something like this we, we see something like this in Australia. Um, these start from about $40,000 um, for the entry-level model, which is just unreal for, for a vehicle like this. And, um, yeah, it's a, a incredible engineering, but also a, a very um, well-thought-out, very clever product that they've designed and um it, it's leveraging this is what we've been waiting for when it comes to electric vehicles this is something that um is going to be game changing um no doubt at all and we can't wait to see other vehicles that they also bring this technology through to even such as their their ranges um uh, that's probably something that we would see first in australia compared to a lightning but you know i remain hopeful Staying on Ford right now, so the Bronco hardtop um, is their Achilles heel, um, which is delaying deliveries of the Ford Bronco to customers. Um, and yeah, it was um, they you know they've had a huge number of of different um, delays, but they released a, a stored you know an update. To, to customers saying that they don't know when Bronco orders will be fulfilled and I'll read you some of it so we've all been waiting for you waiting to get back to the wild for a long time now you've been patient and we thank you for that we've been doing everything we can through the pandemic through unprecedented demand through supply chain hurdles and countless other things you don't give a damn about all you want is a Bronco this is the reason this email is 
down to the wires because we've been doing everything we possibly can to avoid the need to send it. This launch has scuttled our best intentions and assumptions, so we want to set things right by talking to you straight. We are not yet able to give you a delivery timing update. This is due to our Achilles heel in this launch, the hard top roofs. Our production capacity doesn't match up with the actual orders we received. And while we are investing millions of dollars to fix our roof supply issue, that investment unfortunately won't materialize overnight. Given these challenges, we unfortunately can't provide you with a definitive delivery window. Instead, we will alert you as your Bronco achieves every milestone in the production process. Schedule for production, built and shipped. Um, and we know these emails can't come soon enough. So for those who need to get off the road right now, we're offering you priority access for our comp- complimentary off-road driving experience. Um, and they go on from there. So I got to say, this is pretty pretty cool of, of Ford to, to be pretty upfront with uh, with buyers. Normally, you don't get that level of... Um, of bluntness particularly around a particular constraint of which they have and so kudos to ford again um but it's also a shame for a lot of those buyers they won't be you know getting access to the hard top um a few customers have said that look well why don't you ship it with a the soft top and send the hard top out later but i don't think it's probably as simple as that um but yeah but again, it's probably another reason why we won't be seeing one in Australia anytime soon. Um, but to finish off with this week's episode, we're going to be looking at the McLaren Elva. So if you haven't seen the Elva, it's a, an exclusive roadster for customers. Um, and it doesn't have a windscreen. It uses clever aerodynamics in the front to create a windshield, um, to create, to, to deflect bugs and you know being blasted with a face full of air as you're driving on the highway um and it's a 1.7 million hypercar but what is interesting um the some states in america in particular require a windshield to make the car road legal and so what McLaren is offering is a windshield on the car. So it's now limited to 149 cars, which is still quite a lot for a vehicle like this. Um, but also you get, um, if you opt for that windshield, you get a new hood, which out, which out has the aerodynamic bits on it. Um, but it, yeah, so it's a bit interesting, kind of loses it. It doesn't have uh, windows or a roof at all. So you still miss out on those things. Or miss out or gain. I don't know what you, I don't know what you call it at this point, um, but it is one of those things that will help it retain some road legality where some customers might leave. Um, but the car itself is a link to the British automaker's heritage, so it's a two-seat open-air um, vehicle that recalls McLaren's race cars in the 1960s. Um, and the windshield model in the in the photos that we've got. And we'll have linked below. Um, or it's a prototype customized by McLaren Special Operations, which is also called MSO, um, in a satin Casa blue livery, which pays tribute to Bruce McLaren's legendary race cars. Um, windshield or not, the McLaren Elva is motivated by a four-liter twin-turbo V8 paired to a seven-speed dual-clutch automatic. Um, it puts all the power through to the rear wheels and um, it go from uh, zero to 100 in just 2.8 seconds and reach 124 miles per hour in 6.8 seconds. Um, 
it is now limited to 149 examples, down from a previously 249. But there we go. That's all of the news for this week that have probably uh, made the biggest impact. And, um, yeah, hopefully that's uh, got you all caught up for the week ahead. We'll be back again next week. And um, like I said, if you have any questions, let us know. Shows at dailyautofix.com. If you want to leave us a review, that would be fantastic. We really appreciate that. It lets us know that we're doing the right thing. And, um, yeah, can't wait to, to talk to you next week. Until then, I'm Ash Perkins. You can follow us at Daily Auto Fix. And uh, have a great time on the roads. See ya.